Hey guys, welcome into the, I think we're going to call this the fifth episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. I'm Joey, and today we're back to, I think what I would consider a normal MLS pod, you know, kind of going through a, a lot of the games, uh, most of the games, touching on um, some specific headlines, and just kind of overall breaking down what was, I think, another enjoyable weekend of MLS coming out of the international break. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the roundtables we had last week. Um, I'm Again, I want to extend my thanks to everybody who hopped on, even once, twice, however many. We had, I think, four in total, and they were all uh, enjoyable, and I really hope that you enjoyed listening to them as well. Uh, again, I'm going to do that thing, the subscribe, rate, review, download thing. Uh, again, it really means the world when you do, and I want to continue to grow, and that is how it's done. So if you guys could help out with that, that would be amazing. So I think we'll just dive into the game reviews, and we'll start with... I think the game of the weekend, the um, the national TV game, uh, the Timbers hosting the Galaxy. Uh, we've pre- we've previewed these teams a little bit in the past. On the first two pods, we had on Nate, who's a Timbers uh, rabid fan who sits in the Timbers Army section, um, and we also had on Matt Pollard, who has written in the past about the Galaxy, who's currently writing for the Rapids, um, and so we've hit on those two teams. Um, in pretty good detail, so it was kind of exciting for, uh, to me to see these teams uh, match up and see if a lot of those, uh, a lot of the things that we've been talking about in the past did indeed play out in this game, and uh, it was a cracker. I think is the way to um, <laughs> is the way to describe this game. Uh, Galaxy struck early and they struck hard. Um, I was incredibly impressed once again with Chicharito. The guy is an absolute legend already of the league he just continues to bang in goals at such an impressive rate um he's really the reason why i think the galaxy could challenge for mls cup i remember i was uh talking with matt we had a slight disagreement on um how far i thought that uh we thought the galaxy could go and i thought that they were a team that could potentially challenge for mls cup or at least uh be right there um in the postseason and the reason it, the reason for me believing that is because they have Chicharito. Uh, he just his movement on the first goal. If you haven't checked out, um, I believe Elliot McKinley had uh, the tracking data on it. I think um, I think it was him. And if you just watch the replay from the top angle, just he absolutely shakes Dario Zuperich and in a wide wide open at the back post. A good cross in by Grancier, who had a wonderful game in my opinion. And an easy tap, ho- uh, an easy tap in for uh, Chicharito, and boy, that was just some beautiful movement. I mean, as advertised, that's exactly what Chicharito does. Um, that's exactly why I think he's one of the best strikers in the league, and continues to show it. That movement in the box and finding the open spaces is just—it's absolutely wonderful. Um, and then another uh, goal. This one a little less pretty, but uh, Bill Tui Loma. Uh, with an own goal, he would later score in the game on a brilliant free kick. We'll get to that in a minute. But the, just the Galaxy showing how dynamic they can be. I talked about that front four, um, I think, on the se- second episode. And it's just an absolute nightmare for uh, defenders. Uh, in this game, uh, it was Chicharito. It was Efrain Alvarez, who had that uh, banger versus Charlotte, who hasn't started a ton but with uh, Victor Vasquez coming back from that injury he suffered earlier in the season, um, and Douglas Costa out with 
I forget, I think it might have been a slight hamstring injury. I forget what it exactly was, but it was a muscle injury. I know he had that um, kept him sidelined for this game. Uh, so it was Chicharito, Efrain, Kevin Cabral once again, and Samuel Grancier. And I think they all had very good games, uh, particularly Chicharito getting his two goals. But Grancier was electric. He actually missed a good chance that he probably should have scored on um, in the second half. But he was just dynamic. Uh, Alvarez uh, provided some life in there. Cabral uh, was basically the reason why uh, they scored that second goal. Uh, it wasn't credit to him because I don't believe he touched it at all. But he was the one that forced uh, Tui Loma to have to make a play on that ball. And it ended up uh, putting, getting in the back of the Timbers net. Um, now Tui Loma, like I said, did make up for it later in the game with a wonderful free kick goal. That was about all that um, the Timbers had to show for uh, th- threats. I mean, I guess it's a lie. They had a, they had a couple of threats. Uh, the first half, Jimmy Chara was through. He hesitated a little bit, took it around the keeper. Um, a good, good backtrack by Derek Williams, who had a great game at center back uh, to slide that one off the, um, the goal line. Uh, I think Jimmy might have had another chance in, in the second half, but really there wasn't a ton of threading play for the Timbers through that number nine position. It was uh, Yaroslav Nishkoda who started this one, um, which is going to be concerning. Again, he hasn't scored that much at all. A massive uh, signing for them, DP striker in the second year, I believe. It's just not working out so far. And so I really hope for their sake that, and for his sake particularly that they can turn it around uh, with him uh, because I think there's obviously something there. There's a reason why they signed him for as much money as they did. But to not get a ton of production out of him, this game, just being another example of that, is very concerning. But I think it's in stark contrast, like I said, to the Galaxy's front four. And I've said this in the past, and sometimes it gets overused, I think. But really, the word for them is just dynamic. They just create so much. Their movements are scary as heck for defenders. They just continue to find space. I mean, it's just, it all works. And... I think it's a credit to them that they're able to produce so much because often it, it really is a 4-2-4 in attack, right? You're not going to get that much from your midfielders. It's more transition um, and defense from uh, Delgado and Rivellison, who continue to play well. Uh, Delgado got himself uh, sent off um, a second yellow card for him. So, I mean, slightly unfortunate, but, I mean, those two are solid. But I, th- I think they're not going to produce that much in attack in terms of, like, actually, like, participating in the final third besides maybe, like, a deep-line ball because you have those four forwards. So it's really on them to create and to score goals, and they've done it thus far. And the Galaxy get another win, another road win that sees them go third in the West, um, and they will take on LAFC next week. And that one should be an absolute banger. Uh El, El, El Trafico, which is, in my opinion, one of the best Derby names in the world. Uh, that'll be on Big Fox next weekend at 7.30, the primetime game. And that one should be nothing but fun. Uh, as I think John Strong brought up, that this might be the first time that Vela and Chicharito have actually played each other in MLS. I think due to injuries last year uh, for Chicharito. And uh, Carlitos obviously had his... Um, injury bugs last season as well so it'll be a lot of fun to see those two match up two uh studs in the mexican national team 
for a decade and to see them uh, play against one another in our league is going to be uh, just a ton, a ton of fun. So I think I covered basically all I want to for this game. The Galaxy, an impressive 3-1 win at Portland. For Portland, very concerning. Very, very, very concerning. Uh, I believe it is one win through six games for the Timbers. Uh, it, yeah, it's one win, three draws, two losses. So they're getting points, but they're not getting points through wins. And it sees them go 12th out of 14 in the West. So they have some work cut out for them if they want to climb uh, their way back into the playoff race. Again, this is very early in the season. But for a team that went to MLS Cup last year uh, and lost out on penalties, this is not the start that I don't think anybody was anticipating. Like I was talking with Nate um, earlier in the season, and I was talking about uh, you know how they were able to produce good stuff versus um, New England, and I was excited to kind of see what they would do versus you know teams that aren't of New England's caliber. There were two flaws with that statement. Number one, um, New England have not been up to that caliber so far this season. I think it remains to see how far or how good they can get. I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they'll be fine. But they just haven't hit so far um, this season. And for the Timbers, they haven't been able to produce a lot of those attacking moments. A lot of those um, solid moments like I, I was talking about with Nate is like essentially they're not producing those moments. And the opposition that like we were talking about in week one is not as good as we had initially uh, projected. So you put those two things together and it's a slightly concerning outlook for the Timbers, but I hope that they can get it back on track because when they do, they are one of MLS's best teams. And to see Sebastian Blanco get his first start uh, provides a lot of hope for that team because if he's able to uh, save himself from that injury bug and come back as good as he has in the past, he's going to be an absolute problem. He's one of the best players in the league. So to have him a healthy 90 minutes fit, which he still isn't, but if he's able to get back to that... Um, the place where he can play 90 minutes consistently, he is going to terrorize defenses. So that should be a lot of fun. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's basically what I want to touch on in that game. Uh, let me go to the Union uh, taking on Charlotte FC. Um, for for Charlotte FC, this is kind of the their first run through the league. So all these uh, games are their first matchups um, in their history versus all these teams. For the Union, uh, this was a chance to really see what they got um, and see kind of test out the Charlotte side against a really, really, really top uh, caliber side in the Eastern Conference. Uh, this one was at uh, Philly in Chester. And the Union, like I said um, on the last couple of pods, is like they are just such an impressive team. I know I'm a fan, so definitely a biased view. But they are such an impressive team because they don't consistently get goals from the same spots, but they consistently get goals. Like it. I'm not going to point to one or two people who always produce. Now, uh, Daniel Gosdog has scored in four straight games uh, for the Union, so that is incredibly impressive. Uh, I think it ties maybe the um, team's longest active streak for goals. I think it's four straight that he's uh, scored in. But it's not like their their patterns of play are necessarily reproducible in, to, in terms of how they're getting these goals, and yet they keep getting them and they keep winning and they are undefeated and top of the Eastern Conference, top of the league, I believe. Uh, uh, actually, technically not top of the league. Uh, that honor uh, lies with LAFC, but they are top of the East, and it's just incredibly impressive that they continue to do it time and again. Now, the, the roster turnover, like we've been talking about, 
is not uh, was not much at all. I believe they brought it back about ninety percent of the minutes um, that they uh, played last season. Players who had played ninety percent of the minutes of last season are returning for this season. So I think it's one of those things where you know they know how to play with each other. They know how to especially defend, which has always been one of the union's uh, top suits. But I think for them, it's it's really um, how to find those goals which was at times a problem last season, and so far this season has been less of a problem, even though, like I said, the, the patterns of play aren't necessarily reproducible. But in this game, uh, they struck early, and I think Danny Higginbotham on the broadcast was talking about how Charlotte FC came in with a game plan, and that is something that I've been impressed with Charlotte, is that they've been coming into these games with game plans, you know, game, opponent-specific, how to shut down these teams defensively, how to try and limit chances, and maybe strike on the counter. Um, and for this game, I'm sure they would have had a game plan, except that the Union had a direct play four minutes in, Sergio Santos to uh, Julian Carranza, who gets his first goal of the MLS uh, season, I believe, and yeah, certainly his first goal with the Union. Um, so for him and for the Union, that provides a, a lot of hope for if he can really be that second striker next to Mikel Ura, who still hasn't really broken in the first team. He's had some injuries uh, that have sidelined him uh, from playing 90 minutes for the first couple games of the season. But if Carranza can really be that second striker, or even be the first striker, even be the top striker for that team, it's going to it's gonna produce stuff and bring the union to a level that they were not at last season simply because they weren't consistently getting um, performances from that number nine. But like I said, they get that goal four minutes in. That really uh, throws Charlotte FC off the uh, the game plan. Now, I think Charlotte, as they, have in every, as they have had in every game so far, still were very good. They, they got um, Ben Bender again. Uh, he's just such a breath of fresh air. Uh, just how he plays is so... It, it's just a delight to uh, delight to see, and he's just brilliant to watch. He's got he gets them in the dangerous areas all the time, and Charlotte were able to get into slightly dangerous areas against um, the Union at, at times, but really they weren't able to capitalize on any of them, and that's why the Union are that that's the red butter for the Union is the center backs Elliot and Glesnes. It's that defensive line. It's Jose Martinez. Um, it's it's that it's that defensive block that has not allowed goals consistently now. I mean, we're talking for the last couple of years, they've been um, one of the top defensive teams in the MLS. That hasn't changed. And by limiting Charlotte to those, um, to really half chances, outside looks, uh, they really were able to control this game after scoring that goal in the fourth minute. Uh, Kalina, Christian Kalina, who has been incredible in that, uh, had just a very unfortunate giveaway. It's, all keepers have them. It's just, it's unfortunate to see it happen to a keeper who's been playing so well. Just kind of passes the ball right to Daniel Gazdag on the edge of the 18, trying to play out of the back. For Gazdag, it's just an easy pass into a gaping net. And that's really all she wrote for this game. The Union uh, continued their impressive form. 2-0 was the final result. Uh, for the Union, it's been a draw and then four straight wins to open the season. Uh, they're on 13 points. Uh, through five games, and if they can continue anything close to this uh, run of form, 
they are going to be more than formidable. They are easily MLS Cup challengers, if not favorites, to come out of the East at this point because they have been playing so solid. And that level of rotation and the level of depth that the Union have is just, it's incredible. So if they're able to, um, you know, if gaps should arise, if injuries should arise, they can just plug in place and they'll still be flying because they have that level of depth. And for Charlotte, again, it's another it's another loss. It's kind of unfortunate because I don't think that they played all that bad. The Union played good, but Charlotte didn't play all that bad. Um, but for Charlotte, it is another um, unfortunate loss against one of MLS's top teams. Uh, for them, it's six points through six matches. And I think the record is slightly, um, like I said, slightly meaner on the team than the actual performances have been. But uh, it's been two wins and four losses so far uh, through the season. So at least they're providing excitement, not providing a ton of draws. Um, Final score, 2-0 in Charlotte in favor of the Union. Or 2-0 Union versus Charlotte uh, in that one. And for as a Philly Union fan, I am just... I am incredibly, incredibly, incredibly pleased with this team so far. It just makes them a delight to turn on every week when you know that they're going to be able to provide performances consistently. And, um, yeah, if we can go to MLS Cup, that would be a dream come true. But, you know, knock on wood. So I'll move on to... hmm, What game do I want to touch on next? I think I'm going to touch on uh, Toronto FC and New York City FC. I... Staying in the East, I this is a. I don't think this performance like we've been talking about, especially with CCL teams, is necessarily representative of the the team moving forward or in the long term. Because I think Toronto FC is a good team. I also don't think that they're a better team than NYCFC. I think NYCFC are just they have players, really, really, really good players in every position. Young players in most positions that are just so solid. The players that brought their team to MLS Cup haven't left for the most part. And so to see them struggle is kind of disappointing because I think it goes to speak uh, like of how CCL has affected these teams. And for NYCFC, it's kind of a blessing and a curse that they are still in the CONCACAF Champions League. They will play tomorrow night, Wednesday night, against uh, the, Se- the Seattle Sounders. So for them, it's really can you stay afloat through really the opening half of the season because it's going to get to a point where they're going to be probably, I don't know what the schedule is exactly, but let's say they lose to Seattle. They'll be seven, eight games in by the time that um, their CCL campaign will wrap up. If they beat Seattle, it'll be till I think mid-May is the final of, uh, of the CONCACAF Champions League. So for them, you know, they really need to find some results here despite their... Um, despite how they've been playing in CCL, because it's not really measuring up so far in MLS. And I think for them, they can provide so much more, and we have so much hope for them because what we know they can do. So I don't think it's necessarily a problem, but it will become a problem, and it will become like, oh, this team is going to have to really start getting results in the back half of the season if they don't start getting results right now. But... I think that's a slightly negative view on the team because, I mean, even though they lost to Toronto, it was at Toronto. Toronto's been playing well at home. Um, they got two first-half goals, and I think overall we're probably the better side. But, you know, NYCFC in the second half really started to take back that game, got a late goal by Ebert, uh on 90-plus two minutes. 
Um, but I mean, you know, losses happen. Losses that, like NYCFC, were pretty dominant in, uh, in the latter stage of the second half. Like those losses happen too, where you control stretches of a game, you get a goal. It's just not enough. But um, if they're able to, it, it's been mistakes. It's been mistakes it's, for a team that's been so solid defensively. Um, that was so solid defensively in their run to MLS Cup. You don't love to see the two goals versus Toronto FC, who are, are I mean, they're a good team, but they're not a, they're not going to challenge for MLS Cup. Uh, for NYC, for NYCFC, it's four points through five matches. So, like I said, they're going to have to start getting results pretty darn soon, because for them, they opened with a loss to the Galaxy, a draw to the Whitecaps, two losses to the Union and Toronto FC, and sandwiched in between, uh, sandwiched in between all of that was the 4-1 win versus Montreal, which serves as their only win so far in the campaign. So they're going to have to start getting results very soon. Uh, they have DC United next at home, so that should provide a good opportunity to get three points as DC United uh, struggled so far this season. But for NYCFC, they have to start finding goals, um, and they have to start cleaning up those mistakes in the back because it's kind of all contributing to what's been a very poor start to the season uh, for the Bronx. Uh, based team and for Toronto I mean you get the results however you can it, it's not been great so far for um, them they're seven points through five matches and seventh in the west right now so I, I, not great but hey um, I think uh, Jesus Jimenez got a goal uh, Jonathan Osorio played well again for them uh, it was an own, an own goal that served as the second goal um, in that for, at the end of the first half for them but you know if you continue to play well, if you continue to develop uh, some of those young players on the outsides, we're talking about Schaffelberg, um, Jaquil Marshall Ruddy. I don't. He didn't start this game. I think he might still be hurt. I'm not 100 percent sure what's up with him. But you know, when he gets back in the lineup, um, and you have those rocks in the in central defense and in the midfield, it's a team that I think can challenge for a playoff spot. Um, but you know they need to start recreating these results as they have. I mean they're not they're not been great so far this season. They've been good enough, but they haven't been amazing. So we'll see where they go. And this could be a jumping off point for them because even though MSCFC haven't been great, getting a win like this uh, against the reigning MLS Cup champions is going to feel good no matter um, what the current form is for NYCFC. So two one to uh, Toronto FC and a deserved two one probably over the course of. 90 minutes, but uh, for NYCFC, the goal is really what can you do in CCL and how can you, I think, really start to find form and find their legs, more importantly, in MLS. So I think that's really all I wanted to hit on that game because it, it really is further showing how CCL has dramatically affected uh, the start of this MLS season. And I will go to the other game that that is really, really illustrated and that is uh, the New York Red Bulls 1-0 win on the road in Foxborough against the New England Revolution, who also have struggled uh, mightily uh, so far this season. Uh, for the Revs, it's not been pretty. Um, everywhere you look, this game was just, it was super unfortunate for them, but for them, like uh, similar to NYCFC, it is four points through five matches, 12th in the East, and 
it's really a shame. This game they had a rota- they were rotated up top. Adam Buxa rested after coming back um, coming back from international duty with Poland. Uh, Josie Outdoor and Justin Renick started, but they just didn't get a ton of service. I mean, it was fine, but for Renick's one shot total, uh, for Josie no shots at all. So I mean, that's not really what you love to see. From your starting nines, Carlos Heel is just, he's the one. If it's if goals are going to come, it's going to be through him making magic, him, his little flicks and tricks, and he's just such a delight to watch still, the reigning um, MVP of MLS. But he he was really the lone star attacking-wise. That really threatened it all. Uh, New England played a fine game. Like It wasn't terrible. They controlled most of the game, at least with possession. But... Uh, or New York Red Bulls, I said NYCFC. The Red Bulls, as uh, staying in character from what they have been last season and so far this season, just a solid, solid defensive team who are not going to let in goals. You're going to really, really, really have to earn everything um, in the attacking third um, versus them. Aaron Long, Sean Nealis, Tom Edwards, once again, uh, rocks in the back. And... It didn't have to be great going forward for that um, for the Red Bulls, and I'll touch on that in a minute, kind of how I perceive them. Um, but it was good enough. Uh, Carlos Coronel made some unbelievable saves. Uh, I think this is going to be my little sidebar. I want to do a little goalkeeper appreciation uh, moment in the pod because just seeing some of the performances recently by goalkeepers is just really illustrative of how goalkeepers have been the backbone of MLS for so long like we've had individual star players but the just the level of goalkeeping for the most part in MLS is just unbelievable you, you look at Carlos Coronel, Andre Blake for years Zach McMath with some of his recent performances Kalina for Charlotte uh Brad Stuver has been unbelievable over the last couple seasons JT Marcinkowski I mean just you can continue to name the names of goalkeepers who have carried their teams who have produced moments um consistently over the last couple of years for their clubs it's just i mean it's a delight to watch and coronel in this game um just more of the same of his unbelievable play uh that's kind of my goalkeeper appreciation moment over but just so, so much fun and he was really the star uh for the red bulls in this game like i said for new england they controlled the game Brad Knighton, uh, the goalkeeper, again, for um, New England, having to uh, take the place of Matt Turner, who has continued to have to sit out because of, I believe, tendonitis in his foot that he got at some point, and I think he got a fracture in his foot. That injury situation is very interesting. I'm not going to touch on that because there's been a lot of conflicting stuff. He put something out on, uh, I believe it was Twitter, so I would read that as to um, his injury situation. But then Bruce has been saying some other stuff. So I'm not going to necessarily hit on that right now because that's interesting. And I think, like he said in his uh, in his post, that a lot of it is narrative-driven um, because of what happened in St. Paul with the national team. So if you want to read up on that, research that, you can go into that. I don't think it's worth touching on because it, it quite I quite possibly could not have all the details um, I don't think anybody does at this point. But, uh, I mean, Brad Knighton played well in place of Matt Turner. 
And the Revs played well. Like Again, this performance and some of their performances this season haven't necessarily been as bad as the final result might necessarily indicate. But in this one, it was on 90 minutes. Uh, Red Bulls had a quick counter. I think it was a... I forget exactly who did it. But it was a, one man went down, tried to get across in the box. It was defended away. Um, it, it, an easy clearance by Andrew Farrell. Except for the fact that Matt Polster was standing right in front of him. Hits off Polster. Goes in uh, the New England goal for one of the craziest own goals. If I would look it up if you haven't seen it. One of the craziest own goals I've seen in quite a long time. But it doesn't matter because the Revs once again take no points from a home match. Um, and the Red Bulls, uh, a little uncharacter- uncharacteristically so far this season for them, um, didn't get much but still got the result. Um, for the Red Bulls, last season was a lot of just, let's sit back, let's try and hit on the counter. If we get a goal, let's uh, let's just defend it. And it, and it made for some pretty unentertaining play um, whenever you watch them. This season has been different. This season they've been getting like good, consistent looks. Lewis Morgan's been a big part of that, that great signing from Inter-Miami. But... For the Red Bulls, they weren't able to produce much in this game, which has not been necessarily the case through most games this season. And yet, like I was saying with the Union, they continue to grab a goal, get three points. And for the Red Bulls, it's been a very, very impressive start to the season. Second in the East, only uh, to Philly Union, um, 10 points through five matches. For them, I mean, I don't have much criticism of their play so far this season three wins a draw and a loss um a one loss coming at home versus minnesota united by a score of one goal to nil but they continue to get the results that they need to get um and they continue to score goals in every game which was not necessarily the case for large stretches of last season last season if you look at their um their score lines a lot of ones and a lot of zeros and this season it hasn't necessarily been that they scored three versus San Jose. They scored four at Toronto. I'm, it, it's been good from the attacking-wise from them, which is, and I'm talking on the longer trend now, will be a, a lot of fun to see if they can keep this up because they're so good defensively. And if you pair that with a good attack, which I think over the course so far of five games, that they've shown that they have a pretty good attack, that they keep scoring goals in every game. I mean, we're talking about a team that... I think is still probably a dark horse for MLS Cup, but could really make a run because if you can, you know, concede uh, in the first game one goal, in the second game one goal, in the third game one goal, in the fourth game one goal, and in this game zero goals, right? You're conceding, uh, you know, zero goals, one goal a game. You're going to give yourself a lot of chances to win. Um, And I was going through my head earlier uh, today, and I'm like, there aren't many teams in MLS who, versus any team in the league, I can confidently say, if they if, if they score a goal, they're getting points from the game. The Union, I can say that because defensively they're so solid. I can say the same thing with, the Red, with Red Bulls and the same thing with Nashville. Basically, no one else in the league can I say, if they get a goal, they're getting points. And that just serves as a testament to how good their defense has been and... Like I said, for their attack, if they can find if they can find their way into form, Clamal is still not a, not really there yet. But man, Lewis Morgan has been so impressive for them, 
and they can continue to integrate uh, Lukinas in the midfield. Tom Barlow has been good up top for them so far. If they can just continue to run with that, I mean, who's stopping them? I mean, they're right in the upper echelon of teams, at least in the East, if not in all of MLS. For uh, I t- kind of touched on New England earlier in, in this game recap specifically. I the results necessarily haven't been haven't necessarily been as bad as the um, performances or the performance haven't been as bad as the results, but I mean it equates to basically the same thing, which is four points through five matches and work to be done for a team that is now out of CCL, right? Yeah, they're they're now out of CCL, so for them they better start to get results now, like right quick in uh, MLS because. The excuses are kind of gone now. The excuses are kind of gone. I You can't say CCL now that we are uh, going on three weeks removed from their last CCL game. It's time to start winning. And for them, it's been a lot, a lot of losses. Three straight in the league, um, which cap off a, uh, a five-game run, which I think they're going to want to forget. Um, and will not be on their minds to replicate anytime soon. So in that game, finished 1-0 to the uh, to the Red Bulls against the Revolution in Foxborough. Uh, both teams picked up red cards. Uh, the red card uh, for New England was Adam Books getting two yellow cards in two minutes. So I think that kind of inca- like embodies the frustration, kind of captures the... Uh, kind of the feeling for the first five games for the Revs, which is one of... Frustration, to say the least. Uh, I'm going to move on to the... <laughs> we kind of have a USM&T derby every week. Um, and normally it involves Dallas. And that was no different this time. It was the Chicago Fire hosting FC Dallas. This one played to a scoreless draw. Uh, Gaga Slonina once again keeping a clean sheet. He's been unbelievably impressive so far for that team. In which he has allowed uh, one goal. One goal for Gaga so far this season <laughs> for the fire it's been three draws and two wins so they remain undefeated albeit not at the top of the east because of those three draws um they are tied for fourth i think right now in the in the east and it's really been on the back of some very solid defensive play which we didn't necessarily see last year that much but i mean gaga's keeping him out of the net that defense has been solid as anything and now it's really just up to the the front line. Start finding goals because, like I said, Gaga's kept four clean sheets out of his first five games, I believe. That's really good, but that also means that with those, if you, uh, if those five clean sheets, let me restart. If those four clean sheets <laughs> are gonna result in three draws, that means that you're not going to be scoring that many goals and that's really what needs to start happening for a fire team that i think could challenge for a playoff spot if they start getting those goals shakiri came off injured in this game remains to be seen kind of uh what it what that is is it short term how is he going to be able to recover casper shabilko once again got the start up top for the home side um not much to speak of uh two shots um not much threatening uh, danger from him in this game. Uh, for Dallas, uh, Ferreira, 
uh, did not start in this game. Jesus Ferreira, who is one of my favorite players in MLS and in the USMNT sphere, uh, coming off of international duty. So he subbed on and, you know, was bright, I thought. Didn't end up getting too much uh, in the way of goal opportunities, but that was kind of representative of the game as a whole. Alan Velasco, once again, is just a menace up top, and if you're able to slide him in with Paul Areola, Hader uh, Obreon, I don't know necessarily where he's going to fit in. He might be kind of the odd man out and find the bench in most games, and Ferreira at that number nine position. You're going to start uh, reproducing some pretty good results. For this one, it was, you know, Areola rested, Ferreira rested, um, away in rainy Chicago, and I don't think that's necessarily going to be uh, a great opportunity to take all three points from, especially when Chicago's been as defensively solid as they've been. But this is good um, to see from Dallas that they're able to produce a clean sheet because that, necess- that hasn't really been the case so far this season. They've been playing well, but you know they, they gave up a goal in their first game at Toronto. They lost one note of the revolution. They beat Nashville FC. Uh, two goals to nil, and then they gave up one to the Timbers. So they're getting wins and they're getting results, but they are giving up goals here and there. So for them to get uh, only their second clean sheet of the season, um, and this one at Chicago in, you know, not the best conditions, uh, says that, you know, they're really starting to find their form defensively, and that's going to be really the key for them. Because attacking-wise, they've got really good players. They've got national team quality players. Uh, for them, it's really kind of the flip side uh, from what well, I think what we've seen from Chicago is can they start uh, keeping clean sheets because the goals are going to come. And for Chicago, those clean sheets are probably going to continue to come, especially with a talent in net like Slonina. So will the goals start to come? If those things click for both of these teams, it's going to start looking really, really, really good, really, really, really fast for two teams that were not good at all last year and have been much, much, much improved uh, this season. So, Kind of a deep dive into a no-no draw, which is not necessarily what you came here to hear, so I'm sorry about that. And I'll move on to Nashville SC's 1-0 win on the road in Columbus. And this one was stereotypical Nashville. Uh, if there is anything or any result that would look like stereotypical Nashville, this was it. Uh, Columbus controlled the game. They had plenty of good looks, good crosses, and yet nothing found the back of the net. I don't know if Nashville has like a magic wand that they wave to like some force field to keep it out of the net because they never seem uh, to concede um, home on the road no matter what. And for them, they were able to get the goal on a counterattack. I believe it was... Who scored for them? It was Alex Mule. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Alex Mule on a cross by Taylor Washington. And incredibly unfortunate slip by Pedro Santos. Uh, That is just, I mean, that's really the height of unfortunate for Pedro because he was in position to challenge for the ball and his feet just gave out on him and it gave Mule a a tap and header really from like six yards out. Uh, And that was really the only goal. Um, It was the only goal for for Nashville uh, and in this game. But it was really one of the only good chances for Nashville. But for them, that's kind of... They don't want to not create chances, but they want to get them all on the counter. They want to hit in the moments. And if they're able to defend well enough and not necessarily get a ton of moments, 
if that means keeping a clean sheet and just getting one or two golden opportunities, that's exactly how they want to play. They're not going to be open, but that's the point. Uh, Anibal Godoy, Walker Zimmerman, uh, two players that found themselves entangled in a penalty box in Orlando uh, just last Sunday. I think I heard that line somewhere. That was a great line. Uh, did not start this game, subbed on at the same time after 71 minutes. Those two are just absolute studs for them. So uh, for them, really getting those two back incorporated in the lineup following the international break, that'll be the job. But it didn't matter in this game because uh, their replacements, Eric Miller subbed off for Zimmerman, Ta'a Nunga subbed off for uh, Anibal Godoy, played well enough. And well enough in this case is keeping another clean sheet. Um, I say another clean sheet. Nashville haven't been amazing to start the season so far. It's been two wins, two losses, and a draw in which they've conceded goals in all but two of those games. Both wins for them um, were uh, clean sheets. Every other game they have conceded at least one. But over the course of last season and then incorporating that into this season with a lot of those same players... I think that leads me to believe that they're going to be a more defensively solid team than necessarily the first five games show. But this game was a la last season, where last season they set, I believe it was 18 draws. They set the league record for draws because they weren't going to get goals, but they also weren't going to give up any. And so for them to kind of recreate results similar to how they got them last season, I think is going to be maybe a little bit... Maybe a breath of fresh air, I guess. I'm not sure if that's necessarily the right phrase for it. But for Nashville, it really is important for them to get back to the basics, to get back to clean sheets against a solid Columbus team who threatened them most of the game and yet couldn't find the breakthrough. Um, for Columbus, this game, obviously, I wouldn't say deserved uh, a loss for this team. They are eight points through five matches. Nashville, seven points through five matches. So a pretty evenly contested game um at least on paper um and a really solid team in columbus that we kind of all knew would find its way back into the playoff conversation after last season really being injury plagued zellerion had another unbelievable game who he just couldn't find a goal etienne and diaz are problems they couldn't finish um given opportunities but you know that comes and goes giassi started up top for only the sec- maybe the second time this season, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe the first time this season, because for them it has been Miguel Berry starting up top, who did sub in for Giassi um, in the second half in this one. But defensively, they were fine. I mean, and attacking-wise, they produced the kind of opportunities that you would like to see them finish off, and opportunities that they have finished off already this season. It just didn't happen in this game. And, you know, those, those results happen, right? You know, creating... Uh, you know, big conclusions. Like I always say this, creating big conclusions based off a small sample size. In this case, you know, a, a one to two game sample size, not necessarily the best thing to do. Uh, and for Columbus, I think the uh, the start of the season, which has been two wins, two draws, and this being their first loss, is more representative of their team as a whole, that they are a good team, that they are going to get goals, and that um, this game was just a minor slip up at home. They take on the Union in philly next weekend uh so for them that'll be the real test can they get up for that game uh in chester against the east top team so far for nashville they will go to sporting kc next week 
I think that's kind of a derby match. I'm not 100% sure, you know, what the, uh, what, I guess, the geopolitical um, ramifications are in that one in terms of the MLS uh, rivalries. But I think for them, it's going to be a must-win. Because, uh, you know, like I said, two wins, two losses, and a draw, that's a split start to the season. They need to start... Um, you know, kind of getting back on the right track. Like I said, this game was kind of more representative in terms of how they want to play, I think, as a whole, which is defending, hitting on the counter. If they can do that next week in Sporting KC and start, you know, stacking those results back to back to back, uh, we're going to see Nashville in a similar spot to where we saw them last uh, last season, which is, you know, near the top of the Eastern Conference and challenging uh, in the playoffs, which is, I think, the where they where they deserve to be based off the caliber the caliber of player that they have. So, final score in this one, Nashville 1, Columbus nil in Columbus, and a very entertaining game to watch, despite the uh, the lack of goals, only one coming in that one. We're starting to wind down in terms of game recaps. I'm not sure if I want to touch on a ton of more games. I think really what I do want to hit on is San Jose once again scoring two goals in the second half in this one versus Austin FC San Jose man this is a team that I did not follow my advice of not creating broad conclusions based off small sample sizes I guess in my defense it wasn't necessarily a small sample size because we had all of last season really the last couple seasons to back it up but after the first game I kind of lit into them uh sorry um for any San Jose fans out there I am issuing right now a mea culpa because they once again fought their way back in this game in the second half. Jeremy Abobasi from the penalty spot and Cade Cowell on a kind of a, a tapping goal from a corner that bounced around in the box a few minutes later, I think only two minutes after their first goal, uh, were able to match what from Austin FC up to that point had been a great performance from the visitors. Uh, Max Aruti with an absolutely unbelievable strike on 11 minutes. This one, for me, was one of the goals of the week, if not the goal of the week. He hit the heck out of that thing. It had dip. It dropped in the top corner. It's one of those strikes that's just like, this player is on a different level. And as he's been showing so far uh, in the, during the season, he is on that, you know, that different level, one of those top, top, top echelon players in the league. Drusi was able to get one from the penalty spot. Uh, 52 minutes uh, into this one and then it was kind of all San Jose by uh, the 90 minute mark San Jose um, would have been disappointed that they didn't have the lead in this one because really after that Abobasi goal and really after the uh, the Driussi goal um, the the Driussi penalty um, couple minutes in the second half it was all San Jose all all San Jose (laughs) and they just weren't able to get get a final goal in that one but they had so, so many opportunities. Uh, bouncing balls, dangerous set pieces, everything. Francisco Calvo could have scored yet another goal. Uh, would have I think it would have been the third or fourth goal so far this season for the center back. He has been on fire. He just always seems to be in the penalty box. I think there was a moment in this one where it's like, it wasn't a set piece. It was just a normal run of play thing. And yet he he's in the box and like trying to like, jump volley a ball that he probably should have scored he like sends it way over the net it was unbelievable i just love seeing him play he's such a he's so much fun to watch but um i think for for san jose this is yet another result versus a 
a fine Austin team, certainly an Austin team who has shown that they can get goals so far this season. Uh, for San Jose, again, they're able to scratch out results and get goals in the second half. I don't think this is necessarily going to mean anything for them. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff team by year's end, and they've shown it. They've scored. They've had two points through five matches, right? Like This is not necessarily a team who's going to challenge for the playoffs at all, but they still make games entertaining, and this game was just another example of that um, following, I think, after I had that thing on San Jose in week one. I think they had a 3-3 draw um, where I think Francisco Calvo had like a, a brace in like 15 minutes or something in the second half. That was wild as well. For Austin, they continue to score and they continue to concede. Uh, they had those those two results early that I think were more necess- they were more a product of who they played than necessarily their actual play themselves. Remember, they played FC Cincinnati at home, 5-0 win. Then they played Inter-Miami at home, 5-1 win. And since then, they haven't gotten three points in any game. They lost 1-0 at Portland. They uh, tied 1-1 at home versus Seattle. And they tied 2-2 versus San Jose. So I think coming back down to earth from, for a team that you know had, had a slightly inflated beginning to the season um, from what I would have expected... Um, from what we all would have expected, you know, 10 goals in two games is not re- reproducible in any sense. And yet they have scored in four of their five games um, and do look a much better team than the one that took the field last season and found its way uh, kind of to the bottom of the Western Conference. They're fourth in the West right now, again, through five games, eight points through five games. But for them, we can start to really say this is a team that can challenge for a playoff spot that can challenge really versus most teams because Max Ruti, Drusi, Fagundes, Dominguez, all those GTA who hasn't played, I'm not sure he started at all up top this so far this season, not 100% sure on that, but those guys are, they're going to create goals left, right, and center uh, for them, like I was talking about with Chris Bills on the first episode, my first interview uh, of this podcast was really, that center back rotation. Kip Keller, who was the fifth overall draft pick. Julio Cascante, who started this one alongside um, Rubio, uh, excuse me, Ruben, Ruben Gabrielson. I don't know why I couldn't say that name. Ruben Gabrielson, who was the overseas signing this year for them. Um, those three, if they're able to get that worked out and really start, you know, have those have those two starting that they want to start and want to kind of build their foundation off of in this game. It was uh, Cascante and it was Gabrielson. We'll see if that's kind of the, the pairing moving forward. I'm a big advocate of, you know, you start the center back pairing consistently that you want to really build your foundation off of. I think that this, the center back pairing is really the most important part of any team. Um, if you're able to prevent goals uh, and you're able to, you know, give your team confidence that, you know, they can be creative moving forward because they have that um, that knowledge that they're not going to give up goals in the back. I think that's the most important part of a team. I think if they're able to start uh, Cascante and Gabrielson moving forward, they did in last game as well. So that, those two really seem to be kind of the two moving forward for the, uh, that team. If they're not able to, I mean, it was kind of two goals. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a run of play. The penalty was kind of unfortunate. Um, the other goal came off a set piece. So not necessarily like a run of play goals where like, the center backs made a mistake necessarily. But, you know, it, it's, it's still two goals. 
Uh, I think they've played fine, though. And if they can continue to get time together and work on um, just the partnership, just communication, all that stuff is just so important to creating a good center back pairing. If they're able to do that, I think Austin's going to be fine. Brad Stuver, once again, just an absolute monster in goal, kept Austin from taking uh, zero points from this game. They were able to salvage a point. Um, I think San Jose was probably the deserving team over the course of 90 minutes, particularly in the second half. But yet, 2-2, it finished in San Jose, in PayPal Park. Um, and I, mean, I don't know. Like, for San Jose, they're a lot of fun to watch. They're not going to be a playoff team. But particularly Francisco Calvo and his attacking output from the center back position, I don't know. I think they're worth a watch, honestly. Um, I wouldn't have been saying that after week one. So, sorry, San Jose fans. I... I guess I'll hit Seattle and Minnesota. Minnesota, man, I thought that they would be an okay team. I think they would be a great team. And I don't think that they're a great team, but they're better than I gave them credit for in that first uh, pod versus the Union. Like, they're a really good team, man. Emmanuel Reynoso is just so cheeky. The one foot skill he had to get out of uh, two defenders and start to create a, um, a, a fast break. He didn't make the pass. But we're forgetting that. he It was an unbelievable uh, bit of skill from him. It's, he's just such a player of quality. That front four, uh, it, it could have been more goals. It probably should have been um, more goals. Uh, but Lod, uh, Fragapane, Reynoso, and then whoever they choose to start at striker. Um, really this season, it has been Luis Amaria, who I thought could have scored in this game. Um, up top, it was Don Lottie who started in place of Fragapane, who I don't know if he's hurt right now. I He wasn't hurt. He just saw the bench, and um, he, he just saw all 90 minutes from his plays on the bench. But I think overall, when that when that front four is really flourishing, I think with Fragapane um, in there for them, it really is, like I've been saying, it's a problem for defenses. Uh, in this game, it was really a case of Seattle hitting in the moments that they could. Um, they were better in the first half. They had a lot of possession, but Zhao Paulo with an... I mean, he hits these... I mean, some of his goals that he scored so far in MLS have been just unbelievable. Uh, the way that he can just absolutely smash um, any strike that you give him on his right particularly, it's it's scary. It really is. He just absolutely punished that ball um, and sent it into the net in the first half. Uh, the other goal came from a Brent Coleman own goal in the second half. That was extremely unfortunate for uh, the home side. Reynoso got one back from the penalty spot after 82 minutes, but it wasn't enough um, for the home side. For the visiting Sounders, I'm liking what I'm seeing I was talking about CCL, and I saw a tweet somewhere that's like basically CCL is affecting every team but Seattle, and that's kind of the case. I, for Seattle, um, it's been relatively good performances. It's not been amazing. This isn't the form out of Seattle that we saw um, last season or that we've seen the past couple seasons, but I'm giving them time to build into it. Uh, they are ninth in the West right now, so again, nothing to write home about right now. Seven points through five matches, so... You know, they're still taking over a point per game, uh, albeit early in the season. So it's like one of those things where 
I'm not going to, like, kill them because it's like, hey, you're, you're still taking a, over a point per game. But, you know, you're our ninth in the West right now. Ever since CCL started, or ever since they've had this break from CCL, that will, again, end on Wednesday as they will host uh, NYCFC. Um, they've, they've been good. Uh, the, the form really has been... I think, like I said, with Austin, the form being a product of the team they've, the teams they've played can be attributed to Seattle as well. For Seattle, though, the teams that they've played have been unbelievably difficult. It's been Nashville. Uh, it's been Real Salt Lake. Those were their two losses um, to start the season against two teams that I think are very, very, very solid teams. Uh, I'll touch on Real Salt Lake in just a minute. Then they beat the Galaxy 3-2 at home. Another very solid team. One of the top teams in the West, in my opinion. Then they drew Austin at Austin. Austin has been a good team at home. Again, albeit uh, you know two teams that aren't not going to be you know top teams in either of their conferences. And then getting this win at Minnesota, who's another good team. So I mean, really one of the tougher schedules so far this season, if not these toughest. I can't imagine that many teams have played a schedule as difficult as Seattle has so far, and yet, you know, still taking over a point per game and set themselves up in good position if they're able to survive CCL. They do have some injuries. Uh, Rui Diaz is still not back, and that's going to be a problem for them moving forward. But really, once they get past CCL and get past this two-legged affair versus uh, NYCFC, that's going to take place over the next uh, week. It's going to be a Wednesday of this week, Wednesday next week. Uh, that's going to be the semifinal for them. Then for that, I mean, it's really just what can you do in MLS? Can you start stringing results together? Can you start, um, you know, continue the successful streak, which is you know, albeit over the last five games, not looked as good as it has over the last three games where they haven't lost. Start to uh, really come into form in the right way. And for them in this game, it was really a, a story of, you know, hitting in the moments, but controlling the ball, not necessarily producing a ton, but controlling the ball, working this game, and making their job easier, uh, and not giving the ball away, and giving careless opportunities to a Minnesota side that will punish, as I've um, brought up many, 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 many times. So for Seattle, I think it deserved 2-1 win. Uh, Minnesota, you know, they worked for it at the end. They could have gotten a tying goal at the end, and yet... For Seattle, they're they're able to hold on and hopefully, for their sake, start something good. For Minnesota, again, it's not been bad. Really, really not been bad. Um, eight points through five games sees them in, I mean, let me see, five teams have eight points through five games in the West. So Minnesota are eighth, but just based off goal differential, eight points through five games is nothing to laugh at in MLS um, and sees them in a very, very, very long tie for fourth place uh, with Austin FC, Dallas, Colorado, Houston getting up in there as well. So for Minnesota, uh, it's going to be really a question of can you uh, replicate the performances that you had in the first four games of the season which saw you not lose this game versus Seattle being their first loss? I think they can because I think that, you know, with, like I said a million times, with those attacking pieces and with Hassani Dotson and Will Trapp, in those kind of that double pivot defensive midfield position, holding down um, the Ford. Hopefully, I mentioned on the first pod, they're not going to have too much possession. Hopefully, you know, starting to give them, if not possession, a little more stability defensively, um, not allowing them to get carved up. And defensively, 
getting their pieces back. You know, I mentioned Chase Gasper is out or has been out. Uh, Mentonier has been out uh, all season. Those two outside backs so cru- so crucial for them, and they've had to rely a lot on uh, Dane Saint Clair the young Canadian goalkeeper who's been absolutely phenomenal. I forgot to mention him in my goal, goalkeeper appreciation minute. Um, but for him, he's been just so, so solid and earned himself a call-up for the Canadian national team, I believe, um, for this last qualifying window. So for him, it's been all good. For Minnesota, up to this game, it's been all good. Uh, and just what can they do moving forward? So I think it'll be good. For Seattle, they will take on... New York City FC at home in the in CONCACAF Champions League on Wednesday, and then they will uh, host FC Cincinnati um, uh, on the weekend, uh, so in their MLS return after CCL. So hopefully for them, they can take three points in that game. Uh, for Austin, or sorry, for Minnesota, they will go to Austin uh, next time out, and so that'll be a quite interesting matchup. I think those are two teams that are just so, so, so good attacking-wise. And for that one, for me, I'll just be looking defensively who holds up. Last game recap uh, I want to touch on, and I will get out of here. I will tell you, um, I'll give you some co-host information. I know I've been teasing that a little bit at the end of the pod. It's nothing that special. It's a little more waiting, but just a little bit more waiting. I'll get to that in just a minute. Colorado Rapids hosting Real Salt Lake for this one. Really, the star for me was Michael Barrios. He is just a menace. He is so quick, so speedy, produces so much, uh, and just so much fun to watch. Diego Rubio was really, really good up top for the home side. Some, I mean, good performances dotted all around for Colorado, and it still saw them draw 1-1 to a RSL team that came out a little passive, came out a little bit like they did in the postseason last, uh, last year, where... It was all about counterattacks. It was all about, you know, just defend, 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 and then hit in the one or two moments that you can. That famous zero-shot performance versus uh, Seattle um, that so saw the win on the penalty kick shootout. That's kind of the the extreme in that situation. But I thought they came out, and they were ceding possession to Colorado at the beginning, and yet they started to take control of the first half as it went on and had some moments in the second half of control as well. But I think in the second half, it was more Colorado possession-wise. Colorado was creating chances. Rubio up top, uh, like I was talking with Matt Pollard, is just so good. And for them, I he was saying that Rubio might not make them a top, top side. I don't know that they're a top, top side. But after seeing Rubio over these last couple games, I'm not sure it's because necessarily Rubio wouldn't produce enough. He looks like a very, very, very good striker for them. He just needs to be able to continue the form that he's been on. Because in this game, it didn't result in a goal for him. But it wasn't for lack of effort. And he produced so much, was such a danger um, to the RSL defense in this game that it, it makes me hopeful. This It's one of those uh, zero, goal, zero goal performances for a striker that actually leaves you with more hope than it does with like, oh no, like let me question the striker and his performance as a whole. For RSL, it was yet another performance um, that sees them take points. They've been so good so far th- through the season. I remember saying on the first pod that I didn't see them really, you know, challenging the way they did last season. I thought last season was nice. You know, the playoff run was nice. But this season they'll be back, you know, maybe fighting for a final playoff spot. 
their three wins through six games, three wins, two draws, that is, through six games, the lone loss coming uh, 1-0 at Sporting KC last week, it looks good enough. It looks certainly good enough to make the playoffs, and it looks good enough to really give teams a lot of pain <laughs> and cause teams a lot, a lot of discomfort um, defensively and attacking-wise. So they, they do have a game in hand over most teams in the West uh, and all the teams that they would really be uh, competing with right now at the top of the Western Conference. But it is 11 points through six games. It's almost two points a game. That's awfully good for a team that snuck into the playoffs on the last day last season um, amidst controversy. For them, it's really been a story of uh, taking more control of games. Because, like I was saying, you know, the zero goal or the, the zero shot performance in the playoffs, that's not sustainable. You're not going to make the playoffs over the course of a 34-game season if you're only getting a couple shots a game, if you're sitting on your heels every single game. They've taken more possession this year. They've looked, they've looked more fluid. They've looked more enjoyable to watch, and it's you know leading to results that in this game didn't produce three, but so far this season has produced three quite a few times. Um, for them, it, it just gives me a lot of hope. I mentioned Zach McMath. He was once again very, very, very solid in this game. Made uh, five saves in this one. Um, so for him, it's it's another solid performance uh, coming off of that uh, ridiculously good game that I think he had versus, it might have been Seattle a couple weeks back, that he was just unbelievable. Uh, I think it was Nashville at home. Uh, for the rest of the team, I, I think it'll help when they get Aaron Herrera back. The fact that they haven't gotten Herrera back so far is certainly disappointing uh, because He's one of the best outside backs, if not the best outside back in all of MLS when he is healthy. For them not to have him and yet to continue to get the results that they have so far this season is extremely, extremely impressive. Uh, up top, Demir Krylock still uh, not starting, but he did uh, sub on. For him, it's been an up-and-down start of the season. Hasn't gotten that many minutes uh, so far, but such a player of quality. Came on and almost uh, produced something special um, in just his first couple minutes into the game. So for him, I... I'm, again, like I said for Rubio, more hopeful than I am, you know, disappointed uh, in that performance, albeit uh, limited minutes. So I think for this game, that was basically all it was. Uh, a 1-1 draw in that RSL kind of controlled the middle stretches of the game, and Colorado really hit on either end of the game and started to take more and more control in the second half. Uh, Colorado easily could have won this game. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they snagged a late winner. It certainly would have been deserved. And for RSL... You know, continues their um, their run of a not losing that many games. Like I said, only one game lost so far this season, and playing or at least trying to play with more possession, which for me makes them a lot lot more fun to watch than it did in the playoffs. Albeit in this game, they didn't win the possession battle. They lost by quite a bit, but at least they were trying. And <laughs> that was something in the playoffs that was like they weren't even trying to have the ball. In this game, they had stretches of actually trying to have the ball, and. In a tough environment in Colorado, that's more that makes it much more difficult than they have um, in certain games so far this season. So, hope for Real Salt Lake, um, and hope for Colorado too. But uh, for the away side, a much better start to the season than Colorado. Colorado, um, uh, part of that eight points through five games group that is tied for fourth in the West for Real Salt Lake. They are second in the West. Six games played, eleven points and a 1-1 draw in Colorado this week. That will kind of wrap up my game recaps. 
like I promised, I will give a little bit of co-host information now. I am kind of finalizing who it will be. It may be multiple people. You'll find that out probably next week or two weeks from now. And I'm going to make sure it's it's not going to look that different. We're going to go through the game recaps, talk about headlines, except that, you know, it's a little dry. Even when I'm just recording them by myself, it's a little it gets a little boring at times because it's like, hey, I'm just kind of going through what people could already, you know, see from the game. It's not that much nuance. It's not different. But I think with the co-host, it will certainly be that way. One of the reasons I enjoyed I enjoy interviewing people so much, enjoyed the interviews. I hope you guys have too that I've done and enjoyed the roundtables that I've done as well is because I get to talk with people, see their opinions, bounce ideas off each other. That's why basically every good podcast, certainly every good sports podcast or show that you listen to has multiple people on it because it's really hard to do with one person, really, really hard to do with one person. So I'm happy to announce that I will have a co-host locked in uh, very shortly in the next week or two. And that should produce better content going forward. And it should be a lot more fun for me as well. So I hope it all kind of comes together like that. So I hope you guys enjoy CCL in the midweek. Um, and enjoy MLS next weekend. We will be back with a normal MLS pod probably next Tuesday again. And we will hopefully have a co-host sometime soon. So subscribe, download, recommend, follow, all that good stuff. Wherever you get this podcast, wherever you see this podcast. Again, everything is appreciated. I want to continue to grow. And with a co-host, hopefully coming soon, it will just make it that much sweeter if we continue uh, to grow and have more people, more devoted MLS fans and U.S. soccer fans listen to this thing. That's what it's really all about. And it's really just all about creating a fun, enjoyable community that everybody kind of is able to... uh, enjoy these uh these little hobbies and these little passions together um it makes my i guess it's it's not even really a job it makes my you know my recording of these things a lot more fun because it isn't a job because i know that people care i can just talk about something i love that will be listened with other people who love it similarly to me so if you guys could do that that would be amazing and thank you so much for listening to this episode it is so so appreciated so until next tuesday enjoy life enjoy the beautiful game Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you then.